Welcome back to the podcast. My name's Graham Twine, and today's podcast is brought to you by Chef Notepad. You can easily store and cost all your recipes. That's what I'm reading off the internet right now. But the truth is, it really is a fantastic tool. You can store your recipes, you can cost them. That's really important if you're a restaurant or a restaurant owner or a chef or whatever you are, if the menu is not making money, then you're doing something wrong. This tool helps you with that so you can get on and be creative. I think it's a super important tool and you need to get at Chef Notepad. Now, if you're a wonderful customer of Suncoast Fresh, thank you very much. We also have our beautiful wholesale ordering app where you can um, create your own like order list. You can check your live pricing. You can have old invoices on there with that so you can check them at any time. There's newsletters on there and heaps more. You can download that from the app store or go find it on our webpage, suncoastfresh.com.au. Today's podcast is David Moyle. He is a under-the-radar type amazing chef, and the people who know know that he is fantastic. But uh, yeah, not not super flashy, but amazing with what he does and all of his cooking philosophies and just the way he does stuff. Got some great stories from Tassie and other places where he grew up. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this one. <laughs> no comment. Uh, okay. Uh, thank you for coming on the podcast and have a little chat with us. It's just uh, nice to catch up with you because I, I never get to do that. Uh, what are you doing in Byron Bay, mate? What are you doing here? Uh, not much surfing, unfortunately. That's what you came back for really, wasn't it? Uh, look, combo. I like to be in nice places. Guilty. Um, but, yeah, I came back in, what was that? May. So uh, the past sort of 24 months has been a fair bit of travel prior to that. Um, and I came back and this, I spent a little bit of time at Summertown, Aristologist, um, go pick up my dog that they were holding ransom. Uh, and then <laughs> that was an awesome three months. And then uh, I went down to Tasmania and all this kind of hit. Um, and I was in discussions with the guys up here, oh, to be honest, for the past eight years. I've been speaking with Tristan for um, various reasons around the industry and um, there's an opportunity to come up here and um, sort of become part of this group. Mm-hmm. But first and foremost to sort of deal with um, uh, Barrio had had some pretty major issues with opening and fires and licensing issues and so on and so forth. I just had a horror run. Yep. So they've got the Barrio Harvest and the the bakery next door. Is that the different? bakery? Yeah. There's is a deli. There's, yeah, yeah. So there's, there's sort of a precinct in Harvest. Yeah. So it's a big part of what I'm focusing on. Mm-hmm. Um, so are you like advising? You're, you're, you're here uh, long well, term. Uh, no, you're not allowed to tell me. No, no, no. I'm allowed to tell. I'm just always <laughs> sketchy. I don't like. I hate. Pigeonholing, yeah, because well, it's not so much a commitment; it's the yeah. pigeonholing of the yeah, role. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I'm trying to remove the term chef from it because all of a sudden, as soon as you say you're a chef of these places, everyone just expects you to be standing there cooking every meal and it, yeah. for you to be your expression of it. Um, and I've really moved away from that. Um, I don't like the association of that because there's giant teams behind this stuff. Um, and there's creativity beyond one person giving out recipes, getting them to follow it. It's more about trying to get a, a culture and um, my whole thing's about logistics, to be honest. Like I do the, the boring shit of making mm. sure that there's the right ovens, there's the right equipment, everyone's got their right tools and sort of concept and trying to pull everything together so that we're all on the same bandwidth. But that's, you know, that's not a the case of just walking in there and handing out a set of recipes and so it's sort of like making them. a really big cake but the ovens the ingredients the the equipment that's the ingredients, yeah, spot the, on the people are the ingredients yep. the people are the soul of the recipe yep so is it is that a yeah okay that's just, pretty much it yeah, so it's yeah. it's just, it, it, you know if you take the sort of logistics of a small kitchen um and spread it over several that's kind of where we're where we're going yeah so just trying to figure out yeah um where it all sits Delicious coffee is here. Thank you very Thanks, much. Man. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so you you didn't just escape up here to get away from COVID, or were you just no, here just before it? Or? No, I kind of, like, despite my um, uh, a lot of moves seem like there's not much intention behind them. There, there's a great deal of thought <laughs> behind 
all of this. Um, I kind of bounced around the country for a long time um, in order to, I guess, develop what I want to achieve in, in the long term, which is kind of sits somewhere between the supplier and chef position. Mm-hmm. Um, and not entirely positive how that looks yet, but uh, a big reason why I end up in places like Tasmania, Byron, or you know, Origins with Melbourne was to, uh, I guess, to be a bit more. Um, the beauty of Melbourne, uh, both Byron Bay and Tasmania, they almost operate as a city in the hospitality sector. So you've got the same capture, without, um, uh, without the same, I don't know, um, confines around it um and also you're just so connected to not just the growers but also the wild foods it's a big part of my i don't know the past five years or so for me which has been connecting with that side of things as well so you, I, I i do get the understanding like you, you just said that you don't like to pigeonhole things and i think that's a really nice approach and does that mean that you're sort of almost living you know for, for me looking at you and understanding you and you know half knowing you you pretty much a little bit on the fly, but you've got an organised sort of thing going on yep. as well, and that's what makes it beautiful. And I think that's how we might operate too, Scarlett. Yep. But um, it's 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 an I think it's a, a nice approach, as because I think a lot of people do what you say is hand out recipes, you know, and then become some sort of ruler or something yep. over over a thing. So I think I think this is potentially a very futuristic approach yeah. on, you know, losing the word work potentially and it becoming like a bit of a team. Yeah. Uh, is that no, that's no, what I'm it, picking up? It is. I mean, the, 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 the classic classic example of a good way to make a business successful is to take a, an operating model that's successful and do it better. Like, honestly, that's if you were just to apply simple rules and you say, hey, there's this model that sits in this city and it's really successful. You just do that and you do it a little bit better. And if you do it a little bit better, it's going to be more successful. It's sort of a yeah. simple equation. For, I never do that because maybe because I'm stupid, but <laughs> I like to – I don't want to have to motivate people, which sounds completely opposite to what the intentions of the business are. Um, I don't want to have to stand there and um, – you know, ensure that that job is done the same over and over and over again. Even though that's a strong part of a well-operated business, I want to find other people's motivation within that business. Um, but it's not all airy-fairy. Like I believe in the system and that, you know, to be successful you have to be in a position to pay suppliers, pay wages, pay everything. You know, like it's not just about a feeling. It's You have to figure out a way to make money in it to make sure that everyone's sort of secure and bring everyone along for the ride. So it's not, yeah, I, I guess it, I'm not trying to apply a different model. I'm just trying to apply my model. So so how do you do that? Done. How do you do it? <laughs> <laughs> how do you do that? Because it is nice and I'm always trying to, you know, talk about company culture and, you know, I've, I've written values on the wall and I've done, you, yeah. know, you know, thought about, you know, done it like a lot of other people. But... I do think there is a beauty and it is a bit of a feeling, I think, you know, to have a new company and, and whether it's culture or whatever it is. But, yeah, at the end of the day, there's some and some boundaries and some things that need to be done. Yep. And I think people also like that as well. Yep. Once they've understood and you've got that, hey, these are the rule books, guys. Yep. Do them and we can have some fun and yep. in this circle we'll have some creativity time yep. when we get back to nature and we go to visit farms or whatever it might be. Spot on. So, like, I guess I don't know as far as I'm trying to figure out what the lines are. Like, if your kitchens are a classic, like, if you're to be absolutely militant in how you operate it, uniforms, all those sorts of things, so there's nothing that falls out of line, then it's really easy. That's the discipline that applies to it. But I like freedom of choice. I'm a bit of a punk hippie. I don't know if that's a combination. Maybe it is. Isn't it? It is now. I'm in Byron, do whatever I want. <laughs> yeah, yeah, what's your um, Byron name, by the way? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't been given it yet. I've been too okay. busy. It's not mine to choose. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, Byron is a pretty good example. Like, you walk into the kitchen and um, everyone's wearing different stuff, like shorts in the kitchen. There's all sorts of stuff. But, by God, if something's not labelled, then you're 
hauled over the coals. You know, there's, there's, there's that sense of order, but I believe in personal expression. Not that anybody can do whatever they want, like, mm. you know, what we're, it, it's a, you know, not a complete democracy in that, well, it's a democracy, but it's, <laughs> there's captain's calls, you know, like there's, yeah. we're trying to make sure that there's consistency there, that uh, there's um, discipline there and how, you know, the, the cleanliness, all yeah. of that is so, so the important. base rules are you have clean hands, yep. you have a uniform that's not going to get caught in some equipment, yep. but is still safe and keeps you relatively But you have like, but, and you have like, you know, there has to be, the, the hierarchy is a tough one. Um, that sort of a Escoffier classic model of a kitchen is starting to, like, there was a big push against it. Um, it does work, but I'm about trying to find models that sit within that. So it's like taking something and then change what um, the operational boundaries are within it. But yeah, it's, it's, it's really a tricky one. Mm. Um, I think we've sort of, and it depends on it depends on the business as well and what you're trying to achieve. Um, Barrio is more of a community space, so it can be a bit more freewheeling. We want that. But, yeah, you can't do good food without huge, um, like really, really strong systems and a lot of discipline. Mm. There's no two ways about it. Like, you, yeah, I don't care. But, they're not, but, but you're just basically making them not perfect spheres, not perfect balls. It's like I feel, I feel like you're grabbing the rules a little bit. Yeah. You want the, all the rules. Yep. But you're sort of throwing them at a painting, and they're just splattering a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. you've got the rules, guys. They're all there. Yep. But I'm going to give you a little bit of things. So is that what? Okay, classic example is that That's what I mean. yeah. we're going into. Um, uh, I mean, I hate the term sustainability, but I don't. But the impact on the environment for the hospitality system. Uh, has been big for me. It's, it's always been strong in my mind. Um, and we're working with the – Byron's actually quite difficult with um, with waste as far as uh, getting – recycling pickups are starting to happen, but organic waste is a tricky one unless you've got your own gardens and so on. But there's a, a company called Byron Rangers that have, have – we've arranged for them to – they've created like a central um, pickup. They've got 60 volunteers that work for them. Um and it plugs in really easily for us because we already capture all our organic waste. Like we've got a green waste bin that sits next to your regular waste bin. Sounds simple, right? But the first question um, that he had for me was how do you enforce that this happens? Like how do you enforce that the green waste goes into the green bin? I said, I don't. I hope, well, I don't hope. I've employed by people, I've employed people that are motivated by that. So. Like I said, I don't want to have to stand there and go like, "What's this? Can carrot tops in the bin?" Like, go through and kick people's asses for doing for not doing it. You want people to want to do it. So it's about incent, not incentivizing. It's just like trying to. It's educating. It's educating. Like we, I tell long-winded stories about shit all the time that people probably just roll their eyes at. But just trying to give your thoughts behind, you know, after 24, 25 years in the industry. The things that you're picking up is not you have to do this. This is the best thing to do. Just don't ask questions. It's more like hand in the back sort of a thing. And if you, if the kitchen's already there and that's the basics op- operations, then that's that's the big thing about breaking the back of kitchen systems. It's like they're so indoctrined and they've been around for so long that that works. So you just do it that way, you know. Whereas if you're starting with a blank canvas and you're trying to develop that stuff from ground up, it's a a bit easier in a way. Um, and I think as well, times have changed. Like people's motivations have changed. Anybody who's in that industry, there's like two distinct camps in it. There's those who don't give a shit and those who really care. Mm. Um, it doesn't. There's no two ways about it. Mm. At the beginning of this year, we made a promise to, you know, our little viewers that we would be pushing towards environmental stuff. And yep. I spoke about how an orange can take 21 liters just to produce one of water to produce one. One orange. And yep. literally yesterday, it's funny that we're talking about this, we were doing a heap of research again. We actually do the same thing. We have a bin just for maybe the outside cabbage leaves or yep. whatever might be going in it. It might well be some waste, uh, regrettably. Uh, but then it, uh, we, you know, yeah, it goes to another place, gets made into compost, like a seven-week program, ends yep. up on probably in gardens around buildings that are being built on, on the Goldie or wherever. So 
Uh, it's a nice thing to, to know that, but yeah, making sure that people understand it and actually understand the difference of putting something in the rubbish because people go, oh, it just breaks down, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the common thing that, you know, a lot of people don't know. And if you, if you don't understand that throwing your vegetables in a pile somewhere is mm. different to composting yep. and with the air and the temperature and the mixing in of the, uh, of the maybe another body you know, like uh, sawdust yep. or something, yep. then... I, th- I think that's the thing. Well, once people go, oh, right, it's actually different. Yeah. Because I reckon that nine times out of ten, people don't know that. Yeah. And Well, and the thing, though, the thing with kitchens is we spend a lot of term time and focus on controlling something that's living, if that makes sense. Like you're trying to take, you know, you're in the same mm. business. You're trying to take a product that has a finite shelf life and represent it in its best, but at the same time controlling its, I don't know, controlling how it breaks down. So you're trying to make things inert. You're trying to make things shelf-stable. Not shelf-stable, but like, you know, it's or effectively, or, yeah. Or maintaining some freshness yeah. or, you know, at, at its best flavour yep. by controlling its temperature. Yep. It's... Um, whether it's out of the wind or yep. out of cool room fans or whatever it so might be. I think the big, the interesting one, like, is over the past maybe eight years or so, like, obsession with with fermentation, um, which is in every kitchen. Like, you, you find there's a strong 20% that are in there playing around with fermentation uh, and the various different guises. But it's literally exactly the same thing. But the good thing is you capture it in its living state. So there's, it can go downhill chronically if you know there's not a, a, a strong fermentation or whatever. I, I, I guess. But, I guess, I've always got a little bit scared of that because yeah. you know because it, when I was a, a boy, I was told not to keep something between ten and fifty, no, and ten and right. sixty. The danger zone, I believe it might have been called. Yeah. And now all I go to kitchens and I think everything's just done in the danger zone, you yep. know. So cool. I, I get concerned that if, if people are not all over that, um, that it may well be done incorrectly. Abs- absolutely. I mean, there's there's a lot to look for. There's, you know, this is where, you know, if you're talking about meats, this is where botulism came from. But um, there's a lot to look for. But it's also really interesting because it's become this thing where there is less fear around um around that with with the food like you know this chef's obviously tasting everything there's mm. interest in it um and it might be things as harmless as a sauerkraut or a, you know just sort of having a the, having a go you know like let's let's have a look at it as long as there's somebody there who understands how it works but it's it's the thing for me is like i think what's prompted it is people are genuinely interested in how to how do we feed people how do we provide food while Hopefully, capturing in a, in, a, in a living state in some in some form, like be it um, uh, I don't know as fresh as possible, mm. or um, preserving a bulk amount yeah. to actually go through into another time yeah. is is um, I, I feel where where you're going there. Sorry yep. to interrupt. No, um, no, no, no. But yeah, it's a, it's a whole philosophy of how you know, like the old Italians and mm-hmm. Greeks and whatever used to preserve, whether it be fish, yep. whether it be thing, and it, it's definitely a thing that has happened for a long time, yep. but it's almost like we just worked it out with the traditional type sort of chefing, and I know you didn't do that. Um, it actually boxes you again, which once again, I know you're not liking to no. get into a box, but it also, it changed the way that we did things. And now we're potentially heading towards another phase of that, where it's yep. even worse, where everything's in a bag. Yeah. And, you know, I, you know, my guys come back and tell me that potentially people are more and more and more because it's looked at as the business thing. And I do feel very privileged that we are getting to work and live in beautiful places. So, you know, we're actually quite privileged to be able to be able even doing these wonderful things of preserving, fermenting and using old things. So even though it's what has to be done, it's actually a privilege that we're not going, oh, we have to cook these chips or whatever it is in this way because it's it's business and there's numbers and a spreadsheet. Well, and that's the, like, I've always... Driven the culture of, um, like, if you look in the barrio kitchen right now, there's, there's huge investment in people. It's, there's no other way to do it if you're not to be um, pre-purchasing stuff that is already prepared. So, you know, open a packet of pre-portioned fish or open a packet of vegetables that has all its edges cut off so it's ready to go, you know. It's 
sitting in a gassed environment. It's it's more about like training and teaching people and investing in people to be able to make those calls themselves a little bit as well. So it's it's um, I don't know like the idea I guess and this next step in restaurant world was that it used to be able to be absorbed into a kitchen to be able to do it, but now you've really got to be smart in order to um, justify your workforce. So if you want to have the pride as a chef to be producing everything yourself, you've got to figure out a way for that to make financial sense. Well, I, I do believe that eating in season, therefore, you know, I did that little video the other day um, about, you know, grabbing the last of the stone fruit and last of the plums mm-hmm. and, and putting them under or oil or vinegar or yep. powders or whatever you want to do with them. Yep. And uh, that becomes an economy in a business if you get to use 100% of whatever you did. Yeah. So when you're doing something in bulk, I, I feel like that has to work. Yeah. Like if you're... The constraint, like the... the, the yeah. The, the, I mean, Tasmania is a pretty good example of that. A big reason as to why I end up in Tasmania was, frankly, rent. <laughs> <laughs> So if you're to if you're in a commercial kitchen in Melbourne, or Brisbane, or Sydney, um, uh, you're in a restaurant. You're paying per square meter. It's like that's you know, you, you've seen this. It's literally how things are figured out now. That mm. area is X amount per square meter. Mm. Now, if you start doing stuff in bulk and you're holding huge amounts of stock and you're preserving it, you're paying to hold it. It's like you know, you can charge to sell her a wine because you're doing, you know, it's a it's a stable product and it's from 2014, so you've had it in your possession f- for six years. Mm. Um, you can add another 20% because you've held it. You can't do that with food. Mm. <laughs> you know, if you're choosing to do, if you're like, okay, I'm going to buy stone fruit in the glut um, and preserve X amount, you know, it's not your house. You, you, you know, you've seen how much it takes to, to for a household for if you're jarring up a year's worth of plums, it's your entire pantry. Mm. So if you do that in a restaurant regularly, you're paying to hold it and you can't pay to charge. Like you mm. can't pay to, you know, you can't charge that on to people because that's what you're doing. You can't, I think that's where it's turned into a bit, a bit of a business model about chef's um, expressions mm. because you can charge to do that if there's a story behind it. Um uh, but it's yeah, it, it, it's an odd one, and it's one we're mm. going to have to navigate in, mm. in the years to come. It's a boring one, but it's true. Like I'd love for every kitchen to be able to produce as much as they can. Well, I guess that's how it happens. So, oh, wait a minute, we'll get the preserved stuff off them because yeah, they right. can give it to us cheaper. But then that product changes yeah. and turns into one that they've added sugar to and yeah. one that they've done this and stabilize the hell of it. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, okay, well, let's work on that. <laughs> but, um, it, and it is a big one, and uh, I can see that I never thought of the storage one. That's actually um, very, very true. Um, now, let's talk a little bit about you and, and where you come from. Boy from Victoria, coast, walk along the beach, picking up sticks, throwing it for your dog. Back then, I imagine you would have had another same. dog, so it's yeah, still the same yeah, 42, here. still the same. Rightio, good. <laughs> um, where, so you grew up there... You basically ended up in Tasmania after you were up here for a little while. Yep. Pacific. Yep. Um, th- then you did, that, did you go to Franklin? Then is that from there? Yeah. So long story. Like, well, yeah. Quick career snapshot, I suppose. Most of it was in Victoria. So there's a um, training in Ezards and Van Handel establishments and so on. Sort of culminated to be the head chef of Circa at age. 25, 24-25, um, with a big team. I guess that's where the discipline stuff comes from. Mm-hmm. But um, came out of Port Ferry, didn't really – the interest in cooking came from my – well, I was always interested in cooking but not from a commercial sense. I'd like to say that they're completely different things. In fact, they are completely different things. If you love cooking, in order to make a career out of it, to feed 100 people would break your soul if you're a child, you know, (laughs) to be honest. Like you'd go, okay, I love cooking food for people and providing for people and then turn around and have to do it for 120 a day. No, the romance is gone. So I think people who are still in this industry have other drivers as well. So it's like it is a love for the maybe the product. It's not just the love of the cooking. so, yeah, I love cooking omelettes as a kid, sure. Did I see myself heading up teams of people feeding hundreds? Uh, no. 
um, you're a sicko if you do. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, over time it's sort of I moved around a bit after Melbourne, ended up in bar and headed up the kitchen up at Pacific Dining mm-hmm. Room. Then uh, a bit of travel again and ended up down in Tasmania with the intention to do something myself, which where Franklin came about and sackings and all that sort of stuff. Um, and then I... Tell us a couple of interesting stories about Tassie. I actually just got back from two weeks in Tassie. Yeah. Did Bruni Island, went up the East Coast, um, just had a ball, was pretty much just, I felt a little bit in love the whole time I was there. I'm not sure oh. if it was the bottle of wine I had pretty much with no. the whole time. Well, that's, that's the thing. It's like it really is a romantic, stunning, beautiful place. Yeah. But um, I don't know. Like I, I, I still love it. I'm always like always drawn back to visit there regularly. Um Funny stories, I'm not sure. Um, I guess you're surrounded by people who have almost every single person I met or dealt with had made a tougher decision for them to be there, if that makes sense. Like it's a real choice. Um, it's a long-term thing. It's not something you're just like, oh, I'm going to flitter down to Tassie and, you know, spend a couple of years there and see what happens. It's kind of like if you're committing to it, it's it's... I mean, it's it's marriage. Yeah, you got to so. put your shit on. Yeah, party, yeah, totally. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> but there's just everything. It's yeah. like you know, like I'm here for the good and the bad, and there's yeah, yeah. with every beautiful romantic notion of a photo of a empty, um, you know, like sitting on a on a, a wind batten cliff that looks beautiful and um, romantic is also freaking scary. You know, like there's that there's that notion behind everything you do there. It's like it's it's very challenging, which is that's the rewarding part as well, um, including like produce. Like mm. there's this massive sort of kind of big amount of bullshit around like everything there's glorious. Um, there's a lot of junk as well. Mm. Um, so yeah, there's a big romantic picture that's drawn around it. Don't but, make it for me, man. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> but the, like the romance is yeah. as strong there as it is anywhere. If yeah, not, you know, like yeah. there's those little spots no doubt about it um there's little um i don't know beautiful little snapshots yeah. that are just like the most charming thing you could ever mm. experience the sort of the small scale fishing industry that's come back um that didn't exist when i was first down there and it's been a lot of people in the industry working hard to support that um you know like we had when i first started i love seafood and i just wanted to represent it as much as possible down there but I'm happy um, supporting large scale if it's done with the best intention. But generally, especially in the fishing industry, it's, that's a, it tends to go the other way. Not necessarily, but it tends to. So I found it really difficult to get hold of really interesting sort of Tasmanian pro- seafood product. So we ended up like really supporting small, um, you know, line fishermen just in tinnies. And the only like, you know, they're not going to dock a boat in Hobart port because it's going to cost them too much so it's literally on the back of a trailer so these guys are driving up to the restaurant at you know six o'clock walking into the restaurant bare feet six o'clock at night middle of service with a bin of fish Mm. sometimes still flipping that's honestly that's how it developed and that is a romantic notion but we had to make it happen Mm. to be frank um that was that doesn't happen down on the wharf every day Mm. Um, that happens, that's driven by the industry because we kept paying these guys to go out and we'd pay for their bins of fish no matter what it is. Um, so, yeah, it's funny. Everyone just thinks that the produce just lands in your lap and it's, you know, you must just be absolutely overwhelmed with the quantity of extraordinary produce. But to be honest, 40% of my day was spent driving around trying to find it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like to think that's what we try and do for you guys yeah. in our business. And um yeah, that, that's um, yeah, that, that's that's how I got a business. I think. Yeah, it's just, um, well, that's a person's job, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and 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 what, yeah, it's a, it's a nice thing to do. But I think also uh, by telling these stories and talking to you and talking to things, doing the podcast and trying to connect people with, you know, the person. Yep. And like we said, you know, we barely sat down ever and talked for this long, even. Yep. So I think that's what I'm trying to do is have those little farmer stories and feels. You know, it's good to go there as well obviously but um yeah making that connection with these people is is truly 
a, well, a, a romantic, lovely thing to do, but it also has its challenges with. That's right. It's just pra- a, it's a scale. Of yeah. It. So like, you know, I don't know if you know, but there's no fish market in Hobart. You know. Right. So you, you, it's not captured. Um, yeah, it's the same thing. It's a scale thing. So yeah, I, I got to have the romantic moments where I'm, you know, like you said, driving around to a, a stone fruit farm and I'm picking up peaches that haven't been refrigerated that have come off the tree an hour before. And then once I get them to the restaurant, I've got two days. Otherwise they're rotten because they haven't been gassed. There's, mm. It's just, you know, extraordinary stuff that you can't really do in a, in a city environment. It's not possible. Um, and that's the thing. Everyone just thinks that that's why isn't that done regularly? It's like, well, what's your proximity to a peach tree and how much do people understand as to how quickly they go off? And <laughs> what about the ability to adapt it onto a menu quickly, right. put it through a system, add, yeah. a, add a protein potentially to that. Yeah. Or and a, charging. Or a, or, and then getting a price, getting a thing, getting Mate, on I was, a menu, get it on a PLU code on the thing. I was, uh, I was, I was, I was cutting them in half. But I was literally cutting them in half and serving on the mice because yeah. there's nothing more you'd want to do with them. Yes, that's the beautiful thing. Yeah, but then stuff. also there's other people going, are you fucking kidding me? You just, <laughs> <laughs> like I, I know your knife's beautiful, but you can't then charge for a cut in half peachy jerk. Yeah. Um, <laughs> although, although you can and um, you're either, you know, Really appreciative of something that is amazing, or you know, potentially a wanker, but um, yeah. <laughs> both, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, wow, okay, uh, yeah, I love Tassie, I had a fantastic time there, and I, all I saw was wonderful things, so I, I'm guilty of that. And never seen a spotted quoll before, um, uh, until then, until then, never seen one, no, okay. There's a story I was on Bruni Island with a friend, we were doing, we were shooting something, and I, as in film, not yeah, shooting something, not Transvaal. No. <laughs> Um, and I had known about these quolls and I think, you know, various people's chickens had disappeared into the night and there's, you know, everyone blames the fox, although apparently there's not foxes there. But um, apparently I was reading some, I was staying in this little house, this little hut on Bruni Island and there's a bit of, um, well, for instance, the key to the toilet was connected to a hammer because things apparently go missing from this house quite regularly and it's because of the quolls. Apparently they're quite inquisitive and can be quite aggressive. And I was outside on the phone in the dark um, and my friend who was inside had just switched on the exterior light to come out and grab me for dinner was up or whatever. And as soon as the light turned on, I was just realised I was surrounded by four quolls, like a little bunch of gang brawlers. It was hilarious. <laughs> like, but the, the, there was one like right by my foot and they have teeth and they're like little, little yeah, I guess they scavenge. They don't really I'm imagining that they have a little holster. Well, I'm imagining like a little. <laughs> I, I hope I'm painting the picture properly because that's where I felt. Oh, I had them turning on the sensor light all night for, I was in an Airbnb and they had the sensor light for when you pull up and you first get yeah. there, you can find the key and whatever. So I parked the car there, but these things are running past the sensor light all night, turn the light on and I'm going, what the hell's outside? Yeah. You know, first night in Tassie. Yeah. And um, you feel as though you're under, under attack. Yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't know that. I, I thought they were friendly little things. We'd go up and give them a kiss. And bandicoots were ripping around yeah. and just loads of stuff. And there's no, and, and little fun fact, kids, there's no koala bears in Tasmania. No. No, and there's um, loads of wallabies, loads of, yeah, especially down south, the first sort of further you go, and depending on the season, of course, as to how much rain there is. But What's your favourite Tasmanian seafood? Abalone. Yeah, of course. Yeah, to, to, I guess um, southwest. No, but not really. Who wrote that question? Stupid. Well, southwest of Victoria, like it's it's a crayfish and abalone fishing town. We used to pick them up off the rocks after a surf, and and I don't know if you're familiar with abalone, but not really to be honest. But I know exactly what they are. The, the entire, like, probably ninety five percent of it inside the shell is a muscle um, that you cook. There's a tiny little bit of liver. But there's a little adductor muscle that connects directly to the shell, so the same as an oyster or a scallop. But in an oyster or a scallop, that's all you eat. So that's what I thought, that's all we ate. So I was picking up these abalone and cutting that tiny little muscle off and throwing the rest away. So is that like getting that little bit of meat out of the back of a chicken? Uh, that, not uh, even. Like really? You think it's a, it's no different to the rest of the muscle. Yeah, but right. I just that I thought that was all we could eat. Okay. So until I came to Melbourne, found out they were $100 a kilo. 
<laughs> yeah, that, what's the island? Uh, Fitzroy Island, is it? Just Is it that the island just above Tadji? Oh, Flinders. Flinders, Flinders Island. Flinders, Flinders Island, where Fitzroy came from. Um, yeah, that looks amazing. I'm, uh, I'm yet I'm, to get there. I'm obsessed with it. Mm. Uh, I think in the space of six months I went over five times after going the first time. Yeah. Yeah, it's sort of a place of, I don't know, you know, the last frontier or whatever, it just sort of feels um, relatively untouched in a way. Um, it's pretty wild. How um, deep are the lobsters? How deep do I have to dive? Oh, yeah, look, you know, people go down on the, the air compressor, the hooker. Yeah, right. um, you can walk around on the bottom. But um, there's 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 a little bit of friendly competition with, um, with a bunch of us that, well, uh, with the festival that I mm. sort of started and curated was... Um, Oh, you started that, did you? Well, I started the curation of it. So it, it was started by a, a, a group on the island and they brought me over to sort of conceptualise and put together a, a, a crew to, I don't know, to host a dinner or just to showcase the bounds of food that's over there that's, mm. you know, especially ocean-based. But, yeah, it turned into I inadvertently put together a very, very competitive bunch of chefs Um and some are land-based, some are ocean-based. Uh, and, yeah, it turned into like little mini competitions as to who was the most competent. But I sort of dabbled in diving, but not as you know, adept as you know, Mark LeBroy, who sort mm. of came, came down on that first trip and subsequent trips. But he, you know, he goes down but he, you know, 20 metres to pick up a crayfish and it's, it's a bit of a shock. Um, and, you know, you don't just dive down to 15, 20 metres and they're just sitting there waiting for you. You've got to mm. crawl under a rock and, you know, but there's some bloody horses down there, I can tell you, like <laughs> big, big craze. There was some, you know, I think there was up to five kilograms of some of the ones on the walls in the pub and so on. I've never seen anything like that since. Mm. There's some absolute honkers. I don't know how old that mm. means they are, but there's some, there's some big craze down there. Now, now, we don't want anyone to go there, so it's really no, dangerous getting right. there, isn't well, it? Well, I mean, you, not everyone's <laughs> going to be able to dive down to get them. So, no, you know, true. Yeah, go yeah. buy them off the island. I don't want anyone to go there. It's no. such a beautiful place. No, no. If, if, you've, if you're fortunate enough and free enough, uh, it, it has to be on your bucket list, I'd imagine. Well, that's the beauty of it. It's also a restricted space. It's not It's not somewhere that is going to be overrun with people. It's So you have to fly to Tassie, then fly up? No, or? you can fly from Essendon. Okay. Um, from Melbourne. But um, there's restricted accommodation. There's, you know, I think it's only going to draw people that are, um, um, have appreciation for the outdoors. Is that yeah. what they want? Is that what the island wants? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean they don't want to be overrun, but obviously there's there's industry there, mm. so they're very protective and as they should be. Um, but for people who are there and appreciative, I don't think there's any. You know, like for everyone, you're welcome if you're. You know, if you're observing, mm. of course, um, and that's the beauty of the spot. It's it's heavily um, protected, but also, in my experience, the people have been very, very welcoming and, and beautiful sharing it. Mm. Uh, yeah. So your philosophy in food, I hate saying that word. No, me, it's but, um, What is it, you know, like um, over the fire stuff has obviously been pretty big with the likes of yourself and, Lennox Hastings and now Ben up in Brizzy at yep. Agnes yep. and a few others. Um, when did that start for you? Uh, probably always, but when did that when did that become a thing and a, and a realization that it was going to be a you know a restaurant um, thing? For me, it, there is even though I hate the ego associated. For me, there is a definite ego involved in. Um, Having the um, having the guts to be able to represent what you think in food, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, so I personally, whether it be wine, whether it be um, you know the the fish you eat or the meat you eat or whatever, I like the um, involvement and a sense of feeling that comes from it. So. Um, for instance, the wines that I like um, are generally, you know, an evolution in a bottle. They're not just something that stays the same. Um, I like to get a, a 
I don't know, like I like to get a, um, energy, I guess, and nutrition and all these things from food. Um, and I think fire, something cooked over fire, is the most primal way to do it. A lot of people gourmandize it as far as uh, Maillard characters, things that you can use and methods and systems and so on. And that's all part of it. But the big thing for me is just like it's, it's I can sit and stare at a fire like it's a television. Um, well, I, I, th- I can't agree more and I think it's a spiritual it's beautiful yeah. and you know Aboriginals do the, the thing with the smoke yep. and they welcome people yep. and you know there's all the different leaves that you know have the different smokes and different smells and it's a connection so it's, it's, it's the one thing that's enabled us to be in this position I, I think that every, if, if the whole world replaced fires instead of televisions yeah it could be a much better place carbon be. might be an issue but <laughs> 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 I think you know what I think yeah yeah. But it's it's it, there's definitely a thing with um, uh, it's also a, with the oven at Franklin is probably a good example. So it's a Scotch oven that we're that's what's it. Um, what is uh, a Scotch oven? Scotch oven is a oven. So if you look at a regular pizza oven where you light the fire in the chamber, mm-hmm. your fire in the chamber is what then gets the thermal mass heat up to a high enough temperature, and then you remove the fire, or, or you keep it going in the back corner. Um, to bake in or to cook your pizza in. With the scotch, the other, the fire sits off to the side in a separate chamber and it feeds the okay. central chamber. Yep. And there's pressure and um, it almost works as a convection if you get your the airflow right and everything. It's pretty extraordinary. Yeah. So basically it means you can bake in there 24 hours a day um, and you can adjust the temperature on the side without having to worry about what's in the chamber. So, um, And for me, the big thing around fire cooking is I'm very mindful of energy as well like as far as um, you know you talk about food waste you talk about the chemicals we use in the kitchen but then also the amount of energy that we waste if you but if you turn a burner on and leave nothing above it that's just going straight into the mm. into the ether you know it's the same as fire you know you get to burn something to a certain temperature to get produce coal in the meantime you haven't cooked anything above it until it is coal so I've always been really mindful of that. So I like the Scotch oven because every single piece of energy that gets created from the fire that you're creating um, gets captured in that chamber. Mm. So you could light a fire for three hours in there and the oven will sit at 300 degrees, let's say, after three hours of burning. If you close off the flue after the oven, the fire goes out, you'll get, it'll stay at, at least 200 degrees for 18, 24 hours. So, yeah, it's unbelievable. It's actually fairly efficient if you use it properly. Mm. So that was the first thing with the with the oven that attracted me. And obviously I love I, the big part of cooking that I like is the celebration. Um, so often it's you, you might find me at such things as wine festivals pretty often, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, things like that. So it's like cooking for larger groups yeah. and that's an interactive way to do it. You know, if you set up a stove in front of um, uh, 100 people and, and cook perfect omelettes, you'll probably get a fairly different result than if you, you know, grill a lamb. Mm. Um, <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's more interactive. It's more primal. It's more um, – I hate the term theatre because um, – because I do the way indoors. Don't. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. But it's, it, it is. It brings people. Yeah, and people are always curious. It's like, you know, if like I said, if you're cooking omelets over over a gas burner, there's two or three tips that you can give, even though it's a very complex thing to do. But people go into the wood. They go into it's like there's so much curiosity because all of a sudden it's something that everybody can do. Um, and yeah, just the the primal element. I I want to be in contact with every single element of our food systems from cooking to, you know, the death of the animals to, you know, the, veg- the growing the vegetables. How are you with that? How are you with the death of the animals? I, I struggle a little bit with that. Uh, um, I've become a fairly keen hunter. Um, yeah. I still cry every time. I've got really bad animal empathy, <laughs> like shocking. Yeah, yeah. I think we do as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like really bad, but it's something I've confronted over the past. I think if, you, if you eat meat and you don't, and you can't do that. You're yep. sort of hypocrite. Get, get out. Yeah, yeah. Like, get out of the room. Yeah. No, <laughs> I mean, just even to confront yourself with it, to mm. um, realise that that's a part of us and mm. humans. Um, uh, yeah, so I've gone down that rabbit hole. Mm. Uh, it's become a 
spearfishing, fishing, um, definitely hunting. I haven't gone into the bow world yet because I'm not good enough with a rifle. Um, but yeah, I've gone heavily into that. Um, and it still confronts me every single time. Every single Have time. Have you seen that thing on Netflix, that octopus thing? Yeah, my octopus teacher. Oh my God, now I can't eat octopus. Yeah, see, I, see, I disagree <laughs> with that. Okay, you're yeah. okay. Yeah, so I, I get it. I totally get it. But yeah. I've had that comment made so many times. Oh, really? Yeah, but if we take that rationale behind anything, like I don't know if you've ever hung out with a pig. Yeah, they're pretty cool. Uh, everything. But they'll eat you. Yeah, of course. So they'll eat you. Selling an octopus. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Okay, I'm okay with that. Okay. You've got to get in first. Yeah, yeah. I'm definitely, uh, I'm definitely okay with that. Cro- crocodile, if I have to eat that. Yeah, yeah that's true. <laughs> I have no trouble killing you, bro. It's, if you or, it's you or them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, yeah, not to take that mentality into it. But as far as it, yeah, I've had a pretty deep, you talk about philosophy, but I don't have philosophy behind a dish. I like to have a philosophy behind a um, uh, process. Yeah. Cool. Mm. Yeah. So um, that's been a challenge, but to answer your question short term, no, not good with it at all. Yeah. And what about, I know, I know the answer to this question, but I'd like people to hear this, is that vegetables, you know, shapes and sizes, you know, isn't that just the, the, the thing? There's nothing worse than going to farmers market and all the carrots are the same size. You think, I mean, I know yeah, they've been grown somewhere, bro. That's right. It was not. It was yep. grated somewhere. So, yep. um, you know, how's that as a, as a challenge with cooking where, you know, if you do go to a farm and you get all the different stuff, I mean, isn't that just a, a wonderful thing rather that's, than us? Absolutely. That's it. That's I, I get people ringing up, mate, I need the carrots to be this long. Yep. That's why. This, and, I, and, and sometimes I get it. Like, they want a fat one to go over fire. I get that. Yep. And I want baby carrots, but if they go to me, I need baby carrots. That are like, well, they're not that today. Yeah, and they don't grow like that all the time. Yeah, that's it. Like, I'm totally fine with it. In fact, I celebrate it. I'm the other way good. around. Like, good, I like because yeah. I'm trying to make that a trend. That's why I'm telling. Well, them. let's let's push it. Yeah, just, yeah. Just Without a hashtag, oh, now we can't wrong with a trend because then it's not cool. Shit. Wait a minute. <laughs> um, <laughs> Trends the wrong word. Like yeah, yeah. What is the word? What's the new word that's not trend but is happening and evolving? And you know what? A lot of it should be happening and evolving to make things better yeah. but it shouldn't become a trend it should just become a Part thing that's what right. we, yeah that's a, let's call it a well i mean that's a, i guess that's the educational side of it like so many people don't know how you know how our food if you if you like how our food grows i guess like even without going into the realm of how many things there are out there that we could possibly eat mm. um, if you look at just currently what we eat and very few people understand the growing conditions of a lot of, like, I, you know, I've been in the industry forever and super curious on all this and constantly educating myself. And there's still, I still get shocks about certain mm. things. Like, that's above ground? What the hell? You know, mm-hmm. this, I never understood that that's how they grew or, you know, just looking at the process of how quickly things change. You know, saying that, defining, say, I need carrots this size, go and watch it, like, observe how a carrot grows and do that over a broad acre and understand if you want grated carrots, what the industrialised system's got to look like, mm. you know, like all of a sudden you're promoting the worst form of agriculture. Yeah. Mm. So it's, you know, like, no, <laughs> I don't want to put that down on somebody asking for a small carrot, but, you know. <laughs> I know. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, and, they, and they're not that hard to find, but it's, um, it's, it's yeah, it's, it's just that. I like celebrating the... The oddness of things yeah, as right. well, and I can see how that can be a challenge, and I can see how a customer potentially was going, "What's going on here?" Mm. And so, therefore, there's another level of education of what stuff is, and I think, I think that's that's cool. The whole ugly vegetable type thing, yeah. trying to use, you know, oh, yeah. Think. But um, yeah, we used to get like some of the most gnarly stuff in. Um, it was Luke Burgess. Uh, there was a, a grower, Richard. Um, who Richard Weston, who was out at the flatlands, like X, used to be um, uh, river flats, just sort of north of um, north of Hobart. And he was a fantastic grower for us. But he also grew peonies and olive trees and great apples, Bolera apples, and a smattering of different vegetables and animals and so on. But he had a patch out because you know, obviously, what we're, we're trying to get stuff grown in soil. As much as possible um, and he had a patch of carrots that didn't see 
you know, they just sort of went, you know, the frost there is so cold, sort of get minus twos in the morning quite often. And there was a patch of carrots that didn't hit maturity, but then they ended up going over winter without growing any further because they're in this really hard, cold soil. And as a result, um, they saw through winter and once they come through out of winter, they were, you know, they're in the ground probably three times as long as any other carrot I've eaten, but the sugars in them were off the hook because mm. of because of the frost. Um, now, is that a, a, a something you can replicate every year? No, it was an overwintered carrot, you know, so it's almost like a sweet carrot. There's a beauty in that because nothing's forever. No, that's right. And everything is changing all the time. And yeah. I think that's what you learn from nature, yeah. that that tree grows and it's not different today. It yeah. will be different again tomorrow and that's the same with food. Yeah. And why we, we try and repeat shit and make it exactly the same, McDonald's. Yeah. You know, we don't, you know, the beauty of it, and I think as we come to be privileged enough to understand that, yeah. that it is the celebration of that one-off thing that happened for you. Yeah. It might not, not ever happen again. Yeah. Uh, this is also a problem because then you get 50 people going, hey, man, I need uh, some yeah. of those carrots at some yeah, those on carrots Instagram that, because, that's you know, right. Can you yeah, get sorry, but there was a patch and you yeah. probably have to wait another 14 months for them to be reproduced. <laughs> and even then, that might work and not, yeah. might not happen. But, yeah, it's I, I agree. But it's difficult as well, like as far as um, providing a, a platform to be able to do that um, becomes, you know, the all singing, all dancing chef and, and often it does become about the chef when I, I hope that over time that it's going to change that things there is a realisation around that, um, that things do change and if something is tender, isn't tender, doesn't necessarily make it a, you know, less, of a, less of a product, mm. it's just a different product. I think also when you talk business and, and pleasure and trying to be learning about becoming a chef and whatever, yep. I think the whole like, uh, you know, I work eight hours as a chef problem mm. and that a lot of businesses are defined in i think if you want to be a chef or you want to be anything in fact an artist whatever it is if you're only doing that and you're never ever going to get anywhere no. it is making sure that you know i guess my advice and probably yours is the same is that to get out and live that particular with nature and find your own time to go see some stuff and yeah go meet a farmer's market and invite yourself to his farm and whatever yeah. you know like Know, get to know that things because that's where you'll get inspiration in that, in that stuff and that's where you'll find the little little, little well for me like your education is your own responsibility you know like it's just it's that motivation thing as mm. well uh, like i was saying i don't want to stand there and try and drive people into what motivates me um, yeah it's about trying to find other people's motivation and it might be in different areas and every like yeah, even in some capacity, my pastimes of hunting and surfing and all that sort of stuff feed into mm. how I apply food because it's it's for me the part of surfing that I love is observation when you're in the water. It's not like me turning sick turns and spraying fins out and doing sick cutbacks. It's more just sitting out in the ocean and being part of the ocean. So it's mm. it, you know that's a pretty loose tie-in. Okay. But as far as like you know the things that I feed into my daily life all to fall back for me to hospitality and, and cooking in the yeah. industry. Um, yeah, so I, I think res the responsibility of education is on yourself. I'm going to ask you some basic sort of standard uh, questions that we prepare because mm -hmm. I know you're going to be pressured for time a little bit. You're right. Um, I know the answer to that one. What was a big mistake that you made that you've learned from that in your career? I do <laughs> Um, Thumbs up. What, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it, 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 it harks back to the same things that we've been talking about. But, yeah, yeah. Um, I, in my early stages, I had an obsession with making a, a quail into a square shape. <laughs> <laughs> That'll do. <laughs> uh, if, oh, well, this nearly answers this question too. If you, when you're 18, what advice, you know, what advice would you give to your 18-year-old self now? Don't make quail square. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. Um, uh, what, what book are you reading right now, if uh, any? Sand Talk. Sand Talk? Yeah. What's that about? Um, it's about uh, interaction with Indigenous culture. Awesome. Yeah. So Write that down, someone. Right, yeah. Um, uh, what podcast are you listening to right now? 
Um, just say mine. Oh, yeah, of course, yours. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, what else? Um, what else am I listening to? Um, they vary. Uh, Litmus are doing a really great series, more around music industry. Um, and Mahmoud Fazal's uh, around, well, I guess criminals, which has been quite interesting. Okay. I didn't listen to that because I was trying to work out what my next uh, thing yeah. I was going to read here, but I'll have to listen back. But uh, um, what was, um, what's one sort of thing that, uh, you know, a tool or something that you've always just had and you've got, yep, I just have to have this for life, but not a knife. Oh, damn. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything else you just go, just this is one little luxury thing that I just like that I have? To be honest, I've only become tool-centric over the past five years. Okay. Yeah, for me prior, anything sharp didn't matter. I thought you might say a box of matches. Uh, I'm one. Of, I'm a prepper, so I've got. I've always got like a dive mask in the car. I've always there's always a knife of some description. Okay. So you know, like oh, I'm, yeah. yeah, I'm one of those guys. Yeah, yeah. yeah but um, you know, there's always a tarp in there just in case you need to throw one up. And, yeah. you know, camp somewhere. Yes, yeah. um, so I don't know. There's always a good axe. Yeah, right. Like See, a really good, good handmade axe is, yeah. is a thing of beauty. Close to a knife, but anyway. Anyone, who, who you, who's inspiring you? Who's inspiring Anyone? Uh, in food world or yeah, just yeah. in general? No, you know what? Whatever. Um, God, that's hard. You know what? Like, <laughs> These to, are good questions. Yeah, well, no, because to be honest, like I've really... You're not going to box them, are you? You're not going to put them in that box. No, because this the COVID situation is has. I think it's forced people to be a little bit less wary of what's going on out there and more wary of what's going on here. If that makes sense. Mm. So, like back in the day, I was definitely guilty of sitting there and trawling, you know, what everyone else is doing in that sort of world of food. Um. But with COVID, I think you kind of start looking at, I don't know, assessing what you're doing. So mm. um, not on the basis of other people, if that Yeah, makes I, think sense. That, I think there's a whole lot more spiritual sort Absolutely. of shit going down. And yeah. for me, that is, that's what's going on. Yep. And, um, yeah, I, I've got to know me a lot more and yep. quite harshly almost. And, and um, No, well, there's a thing of, um, I hate to draw the analogy back to hunting, but, you know, hunt your backyard. So if you end up in Byron Bay, for instance, you're probably more likely to start learning skills of mud crabbing um, and fishing off the reef line out here than you are to go shoot deer out in the mm. forest. You know what I mean? So it's like you've got to find where you are and what the benefit of this area is. Mm. So you start looking a little bit internally and looking at the spot. So I guess the people that are more influenced by for food here... Uh, sound boring, but like producers in the area. Mm. So it's about um, we're getting some fantastic chickens at the moment that are part of an agroforestry system. Um, uh, there's great duck producer. There's oyster producers that are from all parts of New South Wales that are like I, I'm obsessed with oysters. So I start to really look into what's going on there. So yeah, I'm more more driven by hate to say it, the product than I am by the people. Cool. Well, you know what, there's... Um, Don't hate to say it, it just sounds like a bloody stereotype. I think it's nice. Yeah. I think actually, Can you make it sound nice in edit? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll change that too. <laughs> uh, yeah, for sure. Um, mate, then that, all them questions there we pretty much we pretty much covered accidentally, which is how I like to roll. That's why cool. I scan through them. Apart from what's your favourite car? What's your favourite car? Oh, mate, well. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, yeah. Jesus, don't, don't. <laughs> no, 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 I'm, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a car <laughs> obsessive. Yes, okay, talk cars I, I, drive, I drive a Ford Fiesta. Nice. Because I'm a big believer in a car as a tool, but I've got a... a a 1989 Ford Bronco on the way from the States at the moment, really? which is going to be a little too. Yeah, yeah. But uh, favorite, well, that's my favourite car right now. But, um, Ford Bronco. Yeah. So that's she's, a Ute. Oh, it's so bizarre. It's so not – I like European cars. Google so it's that. just – it's the OJ Simpson model. Ah, uh, okay. You'd be so, familiar with that. Uh, yeah, I've got a mate who's got an F450. Yeah. Oh, uh, God. Yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a truck. Yeah, it is. Mine's a truck enough. <laughs> 
Oh, nice. Like that, but a yeah. unit or like that? No, like that. Oh, okay. Yeah. So OJ Simpson kids. Yeah. It's, it's beige. But, yeah, I'm, I'm look, I hate to say it again, I hate to sound like a stereotype of the, you know, late 60s, early 70s Porsche 911s. Nice. Can't be beaten. Yep. Okay. Mm. What about your, um, where do you, what's your beer? What sort of beer do you like? I can only drink one beer. Like I, I'm not a beer guy. I won't sit and smash six beers. I'll I was lucky I didn't beer. ask you that other question. What's your breakfast beer? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've only just discovered the shower beer, which doesn't oh, apply really? to a breakfast beer. Yeah, have you had a shower oh, beer Oh, bloody hell. I thought I invented it for a very long time. Yeah, I had no idea as to the joy of a shower beer. You don't have the holder in the shower. <laughs> <laughs> I've got really specific rules to how it has to happen as well. Uh, so let's go through to this. Have, I'm yeah. going to make this a question soon. It has to be a hard day. Yeah. Like you have to have had a hard day. It can't be at 9 o'clock in the morning first thing. That's not first thing, but anyway. Um, you have to have had a hard day and, like I said, that's that's my one beer. So it's like I discovered it by accident after an event. Look, I didn't discover it. Obviously, you've been doing it for years. I'm not to say I, I invented it, but I kept hearing about this terminology of shower beer and I was at an event that was particularly hard. It was like 130. We were understaffed. It was crazy. Um so I'd come off a 14-hour day and I was going to meet friends for like a late dinner. And so I got back to the hotel washing ash and stuff off me and I was like, I really feel like a beer but I don't have time to do both. So I grabbed a beer and had the beer in the shower mm-hmm. and it was literally that like angels yeah, saying yeah. it was. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's exactly what it is. Yeah, I was like, what the, is the combination of cold in your hand and mouth with warm water running out? It's just Cleansing and everything. It's yeah. everything a beer should be. I like uh, the ash is awesome. It much like wines with different barrels and things. Yeah. <laughs> I'm getting very technical here. But almost like when you've mowed the lawn and you've got that grass on you. Yeah, you've got to that, wash the it The grass yep. smell with the beer yep. is the thing. I actually uh, told somebody else once that they were doing a dinner. They were doing a beer matching dinner. And I said, you need to have someone handy mow the lawn yep. and put the grass clippings in front of them, then have the beer. That's a good idea. And I think probably even 10 push-ups, Yeah, a bit of grass, sweat. There's got to be beer, something, yeah. You know, so yeah. Yeah. Uh, as a restaurant-type experience. Yeah, to, maybe like make them lack a bit of sleep before they come to the event yeah, or something like yeah, that. You know, yeah. Just sort of you're only allowed to have four hours sleep the night before. Yeah. I'm, I'm all about it. But fact, favourite beer, I don't know. Like I, 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 I switch Regularly. Depends on the moment. What about wine? It's obviously, that's um, moment a wine orientated. tragic. Yeah. But it wasn't, didn't you learn shitloads about that when you were down in Tassie? No, like as in, oh, I'm just absolutely obsessed. Oh, right, okay. Absolutely yeah, obsessed. Oh, great. Um, we'll do another podcast. Just stop this. Yeah, like, one. yeah. Favourite wine? Favourite wine would be, you know, like, I don't know. Um, I don't have a favourite wine. I. Okay. Sorry. You've got, a, you've got every wine that you've ever drank, right? The house is burning down. You just got to you're gonna grab, grab one on the way. One. Yeah, yeah. Oh, look. You got long enough to make a decision on it, oh, which means you got thirty seconds. Look, to be honest, the stuff that keeps grabbing me is the Chenin Blancs from uh, Robino, which are we we're talking about energy and sense of feeling in things. That's a wine that you t- like. It tastes like it's. Energize in your mouth. That sounds dodgy, but it does. <laughs> yeah. Great. Yeah, it's a good example. I must admit, I have had a few surprises rock up at my house since I got back from Tasmania. It's like, oh, did I really? Maybe I wrote 12 in boxes instead of bottles oh. or something. <laughs> You've got a palette. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, delicious. Um, mate, is there anything else you want to say? No. Okay. No, I'm good. Yeah, yeah, no, it's been really good. Mate, thank you for being a part of uh, my little uh, Suncoast Freshers little podcast. Uh, it's really nice to have you on the show. It's actually nice to actually talk yeah, to you it's and, good to and hang, hang out. out. That's pretty much how this thing works. We'll do have a beer, but probably not shower beer. No, <laughs> we can do one. <laughs> um, yeah, pleasure to talk to you. I think I get your philosophy. I hope other people can learn from it as well. Where can people get find you on? What's your Instagram, they for can't. example? What's your Instagram? Uh, it's very. I know you don't. Put I don't very much use on. it. Yeah, I know you don't. I'm really bad at it. I know like, you I don't, don't. But check messages and stuff. That's about it. But it's uh, Moyle David. No, Moyle underscore David. Okay. Yeah. Um, I've I've vowed to use it more. In, I in I think your photos are fantastic, but like every photo that you do put up, and yeah. I'm sure you don't think this hard about it, but 
It's great. Like, I heavily every... scrutinise everything. Like I just, I've got some awesome stuff that I just, I've missed by two days and then I can't put it up. I know the feeling. Yeah, I'm just useless at it. I'm yeah, not good at it. But I'll start. I might just, yeah. I, be, I need to begin. No, it's okay not to. To be fair, it's fair. Yeah. honestly, it is. A, I feel like it, I can't. You know, my personal one. It's a bit of a you know. I don't want to do it because I don't want to be egoish sort yeah, of thing, that's you know? right. And it's like, hey, look at me top shit. No, no, no. But so I some... want to put up different photos now. I've got about the last six are of me and I'm like, okay, I'm going to go back to the landscape or something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it is difficult to curate. That's yeah. inverted. But <sighs> that's, yeah, yeah. But that's, I mean, that might need to be a specific one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he needs his own. Yeah, he, he? Yeah, Frank, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, um, we could talk for hours, I know. So yeah. um, thank That's you again. Not at all. Thanks for having me. Beautiful. Thank you.